0: This is the I Read Comic Books podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. Joining me this week, two stale pieces of candy I found under my desk. And oh my God, they're talking to me. Renee Rodriguez.
1: I'm a Jolly Rancher.
0: (laughs) And Nick White. I'm one of those weird flavored Tootsie Rolls that no one wants. Listen, I'm the only person that apparently likes vanilla Tootsie Rolls. So get off my back. That's the worst. Listen, all right? We're not here to talk about that. We
2: are here to talk about comic
1: books. (laughs) it is that listen
2: new it's, topic change topic change is
1: why is Mike like the vanilla
0: halloween candy choice you guys are the absolute worst um <laughs> this is episode 306 of ivory comic books uh today we're going to be doing something a little bit different uh we don't necessarily have a dedicated topic for the episode so we're going to be talking about a lot of different comics trying to just you know Have a good time. We genuinely want to know what you think of this episode, so let us know at IRCBpodcast at gmail.com. The one other thing I will say before we start getting into the comics that we've been reading, we have a book club coming out, a book club happening, I should say, on November 20th at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard. We're going to be talking about Far Sector by N.K. Jemisin and Jamal Campbell. So if you have a second, you should come hang out with us in the Discord. There's a link to that in the show notes. Uh, But yeah, let's get into things. Let's talk about comic books. I have these legally mandated questions I need to ask, which is how have you been? How have comic books been? let's start with you nick
2: things have been good michigan got its first snow so that was a unpleasant surprise (laughs) that i Mm -hmm. i didn't need most years it's sort of the debate of whether or not you get snow sort of in the week of thanksgiving and it's happening earlier and earlier but i suppose people now fucking are starting to get ready for christmas on november 1st so uh Ah, who cares? Um, (laughs) Tell me how you really feel, Nick. Yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, anytime I just see one of those like Walmart commercials or something with a Christmas tree, I just crush uh, glass ornaments with my hands out of fury. Uh, That's what happens. Real bahug
1: moment there, Nick.
2: Yeah, I know. (laughs) Bah Bah is
0: Is that what you're going
1: for? Yeah, I don't know what the fuck I said.
0: Okay. Okay.
2: (laughs) (laughs) In terms of what I've been reading... Recently, I did read um, Snoopy's Thanksgiving to get in the holiday spirit. Of course, this is written and drawn by the uh, cartoonist, the great Charles Schultz. Mm. Pretty short collection, just like 60 plus pages from Fantagraphics. I thought it was going to be sort of like the whole, you know, it's the great pumpkin Charlie Brown, where it was going to be either an adaptation um, of the... um, of the TV special or that maybe it was going to be its own sort of dedicated work that, that Schultz had done at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was actually just a collection of mm-hmm. Thanksgiving themed strips, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but I was kind of surprised. That's not exactly what I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. That said, I was pleasantly surprised that it wasn't, to my recollection i read it pretty quickly it wasn't problematic in any way
0: hold on well wait wait what are you what are you what were you expecting as far as problematic stuff like 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 right. L- lucy and linus dressed up as like native americans yeah and yeah yeah ding like ding that? ding okay. yeah basically okay, okay. those sorts of things yeah you got it you got it you know
2: uh linus doing the tomahawk chop or something like that something sure. terrible <laughs> okay. um yeah and like look like and again, I'm I'm not a Peanuts expert. I'm not, like, I haven't dedicated my life to studying Charles Schultz, but mm-hmm. I don't ever really remember him being overtly problematic. But I figured with this book, like, look, it's, it's a depiction of Thanksgiving that's – some of these strips are probably several decades old. I'm guessing it's maybe mm-hmm. not – I'm sure there's a couple things that I would be like, oh, yikes, but not, you know, terribly offensive caricatures or something like that. But – There wasn't anything, so that was good. I don't know if that's because Fanographics didn't include that sort of stuff, or if it doesn't exist. (laughs) Again, like Snoopy fans, Woodstock fans, Peanut Aholics, (laughs) don't come at me, please. Like I, I already said, like I'm not an expert on this. I was just maybe expecting something that didn't totally age well. So, um, (laughs) but you liked it. Is what I'm hearing though. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of it oddly had to do with like Snoopy going to visit his oh fucking hell is it his brother his cousin spike the one that wears a hat with a mustache yeah sure (laughs) and he lives out in the desert
1: i don't know enough about you're you're saying brand new things to me
2: yeah (laughs) (laughs) maybe i'm the expert now uh yes yes but he's supposed to go visit it's either his like cousin or his brother who lives in the desert for thanksgiving and they end up swapping places and spike comes in and Lives with Charlie Brown for Thanksgiving, and oh sure, a Snoopy nearly gets eaten in the desert by coyotes. I'm not making this up; that's what happens. <laughs> okay, <So>.
0: okay, <laughs>
2: uh, yeah. So, but you know, a pleasant little little read. There's not enough. There's not enough Thanksgiving comic book material out there. So, if people are looking to like carve out a niche, mm-hmm. there's already a bajillion Christmas things. Trust me, but. Thanksgiving themed comics, just an idea. I mean, why does <laughs> Halloween get so much love? But Thanksgiving, uh, you know, there's nothing. There's slim slim pickings for such a big meal. Am I right? Okay. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. All right. Okay. Yes,
1: here, here. I agree with this wholeheartedly. You know, also the pun, huge fan. Thank you, Nick. Um, You're welcome. I'm just I'm just a fan on all sides of that. You oh, know. Oh boy. Yeah,
2: yeah. I'll just briefly mention one other book, and and I'll probably go into this later a little bit more. Um, (laughs) But I read the fifth and sixth issues of The Silver Coin. This is the last issue of what was supposed to be just the miniseries, and then the first issue since it became an ongoing. Yeah. For those not aware, it's a series that's about as high concept as you can get, and that's not a bad thing. But Wait, hold on. Is is it Nick? Is that sarcasm? <laughs> no, 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 no. High concept doesn't necessarily like. I, I I don't I don't see high concept as a pejorative term. It's 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 just a label, right? Okay, okay. It's 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 an easy to explain book. It's about okay. as easy as you know you can get in terms of explaining. But watch as I now spend five minutes on it. Like sure. <laughs> so there's a coin, mm-hmm. and if you find it. In a monkey's paw-esque sort of situation, it will sort of grant whatever wish or hope you have, um. but in a terribly distorted manner that will have you wishing you never had the coin
0: in the first place. That's it. Okay. It's like a leprechaun wish. I can't stop comparing this series to the <laughs> leprechaun movie series. I just, I just can't.
2: Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. And the other core conceit here is... For an anthology series, it's pretty typical to either have different artists and different and, and different writers on each issue. We've also seen a bunch of anthologies that are um, the writer stays the same, but it's a rotating sort of stable of, of artists. Mm-hmm. This is like the inverse of that, which is which is almost worth reading it just for that alone because it is interesting in that respect. Um, yeah. The writers rotate and the artist remains the same. Uh, the artist being Michael Walsh and then the writers being a couple pretty big names Chip Zdarsky, Jeff Lemire, Kelly Thompson. Yeah. And it's an interesting experiment, but I found it narratively underwhelming and got a lot of thoughts on that. We can probably discuss it later on in the episode, but I think this is an experiment that didn't really work. And I think the final issue, which is like, oh, here's the mysterious origins of the coin. Mm-hmm. Um, like, a big reveal doesn't work if what you've got behind the curtain sucks, okay? <laughs> like, <laughs> well,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. Like, it's I mean, that's very much
2: like, who is the great Wizard of Oz? And it's this middle-aged man, right? Like, that is that is this book.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I I mean, you're talking about it now. I know we've got other comics to talk about, you know, Renee, eventually we want to get to you, I promise. Yeah. But like, you know, the thing about this book, you know, Nick, you and I, I think, have talked about it at length in in independent conversation is that the idea of rotating writers with an artist feels pretty unique nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of stinks that this book overall has just been full of. Okay, ish comics. Um, I think the only one that really worked for me was Silver Coin Number One, which is about the, like the band. Everything else after that has kind of just been like, oh, like you, you're just making a semi-scary book for the sake of it. It feels like there's no heart. There's nothing that's actually thrilling about this. Walsh's art is incredible, but it's not used well in ways that I feel like could actually be used to tell something creepy. And I know that Walsh is obsessed with. Maybe this is Tyler boss. One of those two guys. And for some reason I get confused all the time. I don't know why. Like they, they are obsessed with like doing horror comics and writing and reading about horror stuff. Um, And it's kind of a shame that this book has so many just like middling issues that I, I don't know how to put my finger on it, but it's like even number five, like you said, like the, the mystery behind the curtain is, Oh, it's like the most predictable, like really, I don't know a simple idea that really actually deflates all of the previous issues and sets this weird taint in the rest of the series. So
2: exactly. Like that's the worst part about it is that when it shifts from being a mini series to an ongoing, the way that they set things up at the end of the mini series, basically it feels like you're setting up the ongoing. I know this is like such tiptoeing, but it sets up the ongoing for failure Like, it honestly feels like it sets up the ongoing for failure because the mystery around the coin
0: no longer seemingly no longer exists. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's it's something where you'd think that, you know, if they set up this this origin story of what it could be that maybe in this next arc and we didn't see it in issue six, maybe we'll see it in subsequent issues that the coin itself is going to evolve or something is going to change it up to basically get away from. What in my opinion is like a really weak origin, really weak like reveal of of all of the mystery behind the series. This question of why does this coin like basically curse people that come across it? Right. There's nothing that's actually like cool about it. There's no redemption or redeeming factor. It's like this coin is just bad. The end. It's like yeah,
2: <laughs> really kind of right.
0: stinks. And I, and I'm not again I'm tiptoeing around like with the actual story because if you want to know the story, you should go read it. But um. Yeah, it just it just a, it's a stinker and it kind of it kind of bums me out as someone who is very excited for this series is like a huge fan of Michael Walsh's work. And I thought this was really interesting pulling in all these big names and stuff, kind of hoping for something a little bit more, a little stronger just overall, I guess, is my my overall thought not to completely take this. I know this is your book that you read, but like,
2: no, 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 man, I mean, I always welcome feedback. We've we've talked about it a lot. I think it's yeah. it's a book that merits a good amount of discussion on mm-hmm. a bunch of different topics, but. Yeah, and it's it, it sucks because I think it also sort of sets a precedent for people about uh, creators that are largely known as artists moving into a writer's role and sort of mm-hmm. shattering a lot of the stereotypes that exist. And unfortunately, this book doesn't doesn't move towards shattering those stereotypes about so and so is this, and so so and so can't do these jobs, or they won't do these jobs very well, or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah it doesn't help shatter those stereotypes.
0: Yeah. I mean, so. it, but not, not every book necessarily needs to do that, but I no. do think that this book uh, is, yeah, I don't ultimately has been a letdown, but I keep reading it. So like it, did they win or did they lose right by making this book? Um, because they're, yeah. they're still getting my money every month. We're this, still reading this is thing. it. Yeah. 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 It's um, so like yeah. a half win. <laughs> sure. <laughs> That's called a tie. Isn't that, isn't that what they call it in soccer? Anyways, I don't want to get into Ted Lasso.
1: Oh, no, no, discourse. no. Go ahead. Tell me more about soccer, Mike.
0: I listen, I only know what I know from Ted
1: Lasso I know, and was from playing
2: FIFA. Call it by that sport's real name. The sport yeah. that doesn't let you use your hands.
0: Football. football.
1: You can just say football.
0: With the umlaut over it. Uh I'm Renee, umla. what about you? How have you been? We're gonna come back, Nick. I know you've got more comics. We'll come back <laughs> to you. Renee, how have you been? How have comic books been?
1: I've been good, man. Been just, you know, living the life, so oh, to speak. Okay. okay. Um and comics are, have been good, always good. Uh, I have been trying to sort of branch out a little bit, but not, you know, too much. <laughs>
0: What does that mean? That, that
1: means like I'm I'm trying to pretend to be interesting, but still like I'm the same old manga bitch that you know and love. Okay, um, I thought you were
0: I thought you were gonna say that like yeah, you know I'm trying to read Western comics, and, but I'm going back to my old mainstays. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I didn't expect Santa you to go only. That's what happened. Right, I didn't
1: expect you to go so hard on yourself. I, I you know <laughs> don't do that, Renee. <laughs> yeah, but it was in a kind manner. You know, my voice okay. was very light and fluffy. I um, see. I see. So you know it's all it's all it's all done with love. Anyway, I I picked up I went to actually so I I moved back to, you know, GR and so I I went back to like, you know, the old comic book shop that we used to go back when we were in college. Mm-hmm. Um I mainly went for the bodega next to it, but I was like, yeah, right. it's going to be a minute might as well <laughs> pop in, see what the See what's happening, and I picked up some books, and one of them was a uh, Spider-Man: spider Shadow, number one, with a story Ooh. by Chip zadarsky pencils by Pascal Ferry, uh, coloring by Matt Hollingsworth, and lettering by Joe carmania I believe is the way that you would say it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's basically the whole point is like, what if Spidey never gave up the black suit? You know, what if he just kept going? But it literally starts with just you know, back in that you know, he's sort of figuring out like, oh. I'm tired all the time. The black suit is uh, starting to have a voice, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, there's a few things differently, you know, that happen a little bit different. But basically what you think is going to happen happens. Well, what, what do I think is going to happen? Like, obviously, it's happened? just going to be like if Venom was Peter Parker. Oh, OK.
0: OK. I feel like there have been many what if stories like this. I mean, Probably.
1: Okay, okay, but I mean, it, this one's written by Chip Zdarsky, so you know. Wait,
0: wait, hold on. Is that good? Is that bad? I like Chip Zdarsky,
1: but like, okay. I, I, <laughs>
0: <laughs> sorry, the way that you said that, I was like, I think Renee hates Chip Zdarsky. Yeah, I was no, like,
1: uh oh. It's not that Let's I not hate him. not push this button. I don't uh-huh. hate him. I'm mad at the things that he makes me buy. <laughs> I see. I see. I see. Like I've told this story before, but like the Howard the Duck book Mm, so uh like you know i went into the comic book store and you know one of the clerks who i knew was like bro are you reading howard the duck and i was like no i'm not fucking reading howard the duck (laughs) and
0: i refuse to and then he was
1: like he was like dude just read the first couple pages of this go ahead and take it out read it he's like if you don't like it, it it's fine But I think that you're going to want and then like, you know, a couple pages in and I'm buying fucking Howard the Duck. Right, right, right. And then, you know, Chip Zdarsky keeps writing other books. I'm like, that sounds good. Let's see what's happening. And then they're good. And then I'm just like, do I need I don't want to pick up another series. Why do you got to do this to me? Why (laughs) do you got to be so prolific? Yeah. Why do you got to make stuff sound interesting, especially when it's like an, an idea like this that I'm like, I know where it's going. Mm hmm. But I'm not upset with the journey. I'm more upset that I'm just like, you know, feeding into this whole like, hey, it's something we've done a thousand times, but we're doing it with a slightly new twist. And I should just be like, no, do something new. I want to see something new from you.
2: But then I May mean, is just mad that he's being it. asked to participate in capitalism.
1: <laughs> I, mean, I mean, maybe. Yeah. yeah. But I'm like specifically like weirdly blaming Chip Zdarsky, but it's like not really his fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. So is this Spider Man book technically like canonical in any way, or is this like a what if sort of scenario that's sectioned off to itself? And does yeah, like yeah, really... it's, it's
1: so they they've been doing this since like uh, since Dan Slott did like the you know uh, oh, what is it called? Remember your vows or something like that, mm-hmm. where it's just hey, it's a Spider Man what if book, but it's not under the what if title. It's just a separate universe. What if these things had happened? And so it's like you know they have. Uh, you know, Peter and Mary Jane are married. They have a kid, but it's not Mayday Parker. The spider girl that everyone knows It's a different mm-hmm. one. And they're sort of yeah. like, you know, a family of crime fighters together type thing. <laughs> and yeah. so like, you know, that book became popular and they started doing other ones. And, You know, there was a couple different spider Gwen's and then there was, you know, they brought miles Morales into six one six, but like, I think there was also a spinoff of that. And so they just started doing all these little pocket, like Spider-Man books that are like, alternate dimension type stuff so, but they're basically what ifs without being under the title of what if. Huh. And so this is one of those.
0: It's it's so funny because I feel like Marvel especially in the last what like decade or two has been like one universe Everything comes together, especially with Secret Wars, but except for Spider Man, where we know that we can make our money.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And and the other thing was, I think that they get away with it because of Spider Verse. They're like, well, that was in there. And that explains, though, that there's other Spider Men. And then everyone's like, well, I want to know more about, you know, the other Spider Men. And then Mm -hmm. they, you know, Mm -hmm. didn't do that. And then instead are just doing, hey, let's do more what ifs of the Peter Parker you know and love. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. But, what if, and just what if, we had a book about. I <laughs> can't use the phrase, as trademarked. Use yeah, that. it's trademarked. Can't It's trademarked. Okay. Uh,
0: Perhaps, maybe. Perhaps.
1: Yeah. Perhaps there's a book about, you know, <laughs> Spider Man.
0: Perchance, the new
2: the new dollar store knockoff of What If. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Excuse me, sir. Perchance, I might have a comic of. <laughs> Spider-Man's or Spider-Man, right. whatever he was. Okay. Okay. The collection spider's of Man. spiders that yeah. became yeah. that one. Or even the, like, you know, Gerard Way was saying that, like, when he wrote the the Penny Parker one where she's got, you know, the, the mobile suit spider, he was like, oh, there's so much more there. I'd love to do more to that. And then, oh, like, yeah. they didn't. I'm like, where's that book? Where's all the, you know, all, all the other really interesting ones?
0: I, I feel like off.
2: Spider-Man is, like, Uniquely positioned for these things because one, it's a, it's it's a character in a book that's gone on for so long that they just have a huge list and they can just go back to this well and just the list is is underlined as a what if this personal tragedy didn't happen and so right. there's it's like four hundred Peter yeah
1: yeah I was like but there's so much to dip from especially with Spider Verse that they've and they've done a couple of the things with the Spider Verse but then I also feel like we keep dipping back into like you know the the prime time of you know spider-man in the 90s like 80s you know yeah. they brought back ben riley mm-hmm. and all and he that. went to
0: like houston or something right no that was uh, kane uh um, oh, that was kane. Kane. Steve, <laughs> this is the thing
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you're, you're, you're making your point
0: <laughs> no sorry this is the thing anyways well it sounds it's i mean i'm glad to hear that you're back on the spider-man saddle at least a little bit or at least in some capacity, Renee. That's that's good to hear. I feel yeah. like you and Spider-Man have always been a thing. And I feel like you've distanced yeah. yourself and now you're back together. So like a good, you know, <laughs> will they, won't they, I feel like this time. <laughs> yeah, well, I've, said,
1: the reason that I haven't been reading Spider-Man is because I I needed to, because I dropped off buying comics for a while. Yeah. And I needed to finish my run of Dan Slott's Spider-Man. and I Right, 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 right. So I've got them all, bought them all at the last con I went to just, need to read them and then I'll be all caught up and then we can get into the new ones that gotcha Danny
0: Danny in the chat says the main Spider-Man book is the least appealing give me all the other Spidey family books so like <laughs> you know for you know that's a preview of what's to come yeah
1: but Micah what uh, what about you uh, how how have you been how come oh, comic I, books
0: been uh... You know, it's so weird to have someone ask me that question. No one ever asks me how I'm doing. I've been all right, you know, been busy. I've been, I slept like a rock, like my head hit the pillow last night and my body didn't move. So every muscle in my body is angry right now. Um, But on the bright side, it's not as bad as what happened a couple of weeks ago where the same exact kind of thing happened where I went to sleep and it was terrible because Kelly and I bought a new mattress uh, recently. And it's great. You know, have you ever changed out your mattress after sleeping on the same one for 10 plus years? Is this a um, sleep
2: number ad? Are we are you are you uh, leading into a sleep number? I ad? was. This is, is actually
0: a Casper ad. Um, what's your no. what's your sleep number, Mike? <laughs> no, I've been you know, I've been good. Uh, otherwise, I think like uh, I haven't been I haven't read a lot of comics, but I've read a lot of big comics. So like on my comics read list, there's only a handful of books, but I've read like a lot of big, thick books. Like uh, I read uh The Girl from the Other Side, volume 11 by Nagabe. Uh, this is a beautiful end to a beautiful little series. If you haven't read The Girl from the Other Side, uh, it's, it's one of the most adorable, beautiful comics you can read. The most impressive part about this book is the way that Nagabe, the artist, uses the color black. I've never seen a book that is full of so much dark ink intentionally to try to almost flipped the idea of doing a book in black and white. And instead of having white being the core color, black is the core color. Um, And the way that she uses subtle shading and highlighting in the the color with whites is, I I don't know how to describe it. Because I think there's a lot of comics that you can read like Black Hole, for instance, or a lot of manga like Junji Ito's stuff um, uses a lot of dark colors and stuff to try to convey things. Like I just read his sensor recently by Junji Ito, and there's a lot of dark color in there because he needs to highlight these wispy hairs that are done in white. Um, but it's not the way that Nagabe uses black in her manga is wholly different um it's clearly like a wash of watercolor and and subtlety that intentionally has like lightened bits within it and it's intentionally off uh, it, it's it's not all uniform throughout the whole book and um yeah so this is the final volume of the series and i don't know how to describe it without spoiling it because a lot of things happened in Volumes 9, 10, and 11 that changed the trajectory of the book, but kind of reveals what the core of the story was supposed to be. And reflecting back on the entire series, which the last volume does in a really beautiful way, I was like, oh, so this book is incredibly heartfelt, more so than I even thought, because the story is about a little girl who's like five years old and she's being taken care of by this big six and a half tall or six and a half feet tall uh, kind of monster person who has like antlers and his skin is all like, like void black. Um, But he wears proper clothes and she calls him teacher. And he doesn't really remember how they came together. And he doesn't really know where she came from. She had an aunt at one point. She got lost. It's it's very like intentionally mysterious in that this guy who is he was in all black, is he's, he's an outsider is what they call him. He doesn't have a very good memory. And so as the story goes on, you start to reveal like who this girl is, where she came, up, came from, why this book is considered outside, um, why the story is called The Girl from the Other Side. Um, everything gets revealed as the story goes on. And these last two volumes have just been like, uh, a slap in the face of like, remember what this book is about. Remember all of the craziness that we built up through the whole series. Here is like it all laid out bare for you to understand it once again with a a uh, a lot of vagueness that you kind of have to interpret. And like the more I thought about this book as I was reading it, the more I was kind of like, I feel like the author Nagabe or the translator Adrian Beck was almost too vague with a lot of the stuff that they did um, until the last few pages um it's one of those things where they you read this in comics all the time or you see it in a movie where somebody like okay let's plan the heist and then the music fades up and we as the viewer don't get to know what the heist is until it actually happens the author for for this series does that in a way that is even more indirect in that a lot of things are happening and characters are clearly talking about something but like they're talking about it for a long time, but they're using such vague terms. You're almost kind of lost in their conversation Ugh. in trying to understand or what the sub understand what the subject is. But again, it all gets revealed at the end. And I was just floored with how perfect it was and like heartbreaking, but also e- exciting and like heartwarming. It was like, you feel a lot of emotions in this book as it, as you read it. And especially in the is last one of them volumes. confusion. <laughs> yes. One of them is, is confusion. Um, i would say that's more of a state of mind but anyways (laughs) this book was amazing and uh highly recommend it this is the last volume in the series but they are going to be releasing a 12th volume that's going to be full of side stories probably focusing on a handful of other side characters that didn't really get a lot of spotlight answering questions about like the government that is trying you know that is part of the world um which takes has a small place in the story um It's very, 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 very good. Um, I cannot recommend this short series enough. um, If only because Nagabe's art. Like if you don't like the art in volume one, stop reading. But like it is some of the most beautiful art I've seen in a manga volume um, in a very, very long time. And the series has just been incredible from start to finish.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Who is this from and what sort of
0: genre would you put this in? I would call this like it's weird enough. I would call this like slice of life horror okay Hmm. and he and i say that in very like hesitantly because i wouldn't say at any point in this book i was scared right like this isn't like a junji ito this isn't like you know any any other author that's doing like horror books like a cullen bun or something um but there are some very kind of dark elements to the story that are crucial um because there's this dichotomy of like people that live on the inside and people that live on the outside. And what does that mean to be an outsider? And there's like a lot of like, if this book wasn't in black and white, if it was in grayscale, there would be a lot more gore and probably disgusting stuff that you would see, but it's all hidden and masked away by this extremely stark black, um, that is used throughout the whole series, um, to kind of mass hide away from some stuff that probably looks awful. If you were to be there in real life, um, but it's very it's very wholesome in a lot of ways you're following a teacher and a 5-year-old girl as they kind of live their life like making pies and and just trying to move from house to house to survive and find things um as they are outside of the rest of society um because this guy's an outsider and this girl is tainted in a, in a way um and what that means you got to read the series to find out but yeah it's a horror slice of life our slice of life horror is probably how i would uh, yeah i would and this is from Seven C's Publishing. Um, they make a lot of stuff. Um, or they publish a lot of stuff from like, I, I don't know, weird isekai manga. Like, I woke up as like the bra of my high school crush, and also <laughs> this book. Uh, okay, <laughs> it, things like I mean, Seven C's is all over the board, but you know, somebody's publishing it, and it's them. <laughs> <laughs> really? Okay. This is not going to be really quick, but I do want to talk about this because Nick, I want to talk about some of the other books that you have. Sure. But I also read Rick and Morty Corporate Assets number one. Oh, God. Sorry, guys. I know you You can see my notes. People at home who are listening, you can't. Um, this is written by James Asmus, art by Jarrett Williams, colors by Jeremy Lawson. Folks who listen to the show a long time probably know that I am a Rick and Morty fan in the sense that I only want to be a Rick and Morty fan to myself, and I don't want to talk to anybody about it. I don't want to interact with any other Rick and Morty fans, but I like the Rick and Morty show, and I like the Rick and Morty comics, Um, and I've been a fan of the Rick and Morty comics for a while, but I, I don't want to hide any of my snark here. Like I've been reading... Rick and Morty for a long time, like when the series had like a big hiatus, I was like, okay, I'm going to dig into these comics. And it turns out that they're very, very good. You guys may have heard of a creator named Kyle Starks. He is a fantastic comedy writer. He writes very funny comic books in general. His old head book is fantastic. He's done a bunch of other things that are just very, very funny. But the last two runs of Rick and Morty have not worked for me at all. Um, and Kyle Starks, I guess, ended ended his run with Teeny Howard and Mags Visaggio uh, in the back uh, doing like backup stories uh, a little while ago. And they've kind of bounced between different art- writers and artists on the series, um, changing up the format and how they publish the book. Um, and it's all been pretty middling. Uh, and I, I read it because I like the series. And I'm always like, you know, with a series like this, they're changing up the creative team all the time. If it's bad for four issues, then maybe, you know, we'll move on to somebody else. And they've done that. And it's been in the middle. Um, But the last two arcs, including (laughs) the one shot that they did about Mr. Nimbus for people that watch the show. Mr. Nimbus was introduced pretty recently. So they did a one shot about him have been just bad. They've been not good. They've been some of the like most frustrating comics to read, if only because I apparently care a lot about this series. (laughs) Like, yeah, um, I'm getting Nick, that impression, yeah. Nick, you 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 know I've, I've complained to you quite a bit about this book. And I never in my life would have thought that I would care about a licensed series in my right. entire life. Like, I think there was a time, even a few years ago, where I was like, licensed books are for chumps. You're like, yeah. this is just, you know, companies trying to pump out more IP so that people will read it. And I'm like, but that's every X-Men and Batman and Spider-Man book. What are you talking about, Mike? Right. You know, and I was very anti licensed comics until i came across this one and maybe some other things and i really 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 dug the way that kyle starks hit every single beat that you would expect in a rick and morty story in a six issue arc in a one in a one shot in a backup story like mags visaggio teeny howard they took the reins a couple times and wrote the main story or they were writing backups they really 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 understood the the comedy the beats the characters the the setting of Rick and Morty and i like you would think as someone who watches this show like anything's possible they do all sorts of bullshit on the tv show blah. but it's like it's within the Dan Harmon Justin Roiland like world of thinking of insanity and i don't think that that like previous writers, particularly Starks and Howard and Visaggio, and I'm going to keep harping on them because they fucking nailed it. If you can read those early Rick and Morty comics, go do it. They understood the beats, and these last two arcs, like, they are just not, they just weren't good. They were over-explained. The comedy didn't work. It was all, like, like, Rick as a character is someone who is, he's an asshole, but, like, he's not, like, viciously mean, and, like, the previous creative team, they were, like, Rick's just a jerk. He's just going to say, like, fuck you and give middle fingers all the time and have no development, have no reason to build up. Like, you watch the show, you watch Rick, he kind of has a little bit of patience to him um, and before he starts to go batshit. And if he goes batshit, it's temporary because he always has a solution. I feel like the previous team just didn't get... So, I, I you guys, I'm fucking mad about Rick and Morty, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Um, <laughs> your, your, your level of buy-in on this is a little f- frightening, but I mean we're all like yeah. this for one thing or
0: another so it's i did not know that this is how much i felt about this like i've written a lot of notes i've <laughs> written here. a lot of letters to the editor <laughs> um, <laughs> I just, but
2: i just go I and say, open up those books on cu and just the letters <laughs> to the editor section is just it's just fucking the... flooded with your pseudonyms that you've written in as yeah
0: i'll become the the andrew masachowicz or whatever his name is who wrote into like every single walking dead issue and complained about it um, <laughs> Uh, (laughs) that's a thing for the record that's a thing i know i remember um anyways so i i did read corporate assets number one and i just want to say james asmus fucking gets it like he gets how. like there's a thing in television writing called a spec script where you write a television or an episode of a tv show as like proof that you could write for a, a series um or that you just know how to adapt an existing ip into a new script that has an original idea and i feel like that's what these comics should be all the time i feel like every licensed comic should be like that you're basically writing a spec script in a comic book that's not to say that i think it should be adapted into tv but you have to be able to understand the characters voices and all this other shit previous authors haven't gotten it It, since kyle stark i don't think anyone's really nailed it until this most recent issue with james asmus so all i'm saying is guys comics are bad and i bought every single one of them and read most of them and uh so you would know right i I would know i guess yeah I don't know. You'd
2: be able to perform this public service.
0: I kept reading because I knew that the previous team was going to leave eventually. And uh, finally they did. Because I haven't been following the solicits for this. I've just been buying the comics blindly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And yeah, so I'm very just like, I'm just happy that it's back to a good rhythm. And I'm hoping that Asmus keeps up and like Asmus has written other comedy books in the past. So I kind of have, I have hope. And you know, the guys that were on the previous runs of this book have also written for other comedy things. And from my understanding did well enough. Obviously they're writing this comic and Oni press thought they were doing a decent enough job to give them more issues. So anyways, I just, I'm getting off my soapbox now Nick uh, comedy is
2: tough for for comics comedy is tough I think people think that because there's a visual component to it that that's you know enough to sort of bridge the divide and make it you know easy to to make Mm -hmm. you know comedy but when you can't when you can't sort of slow things down and ensure that people you know see everything in the panel that you want them to see or take things in at the speed you want them to like yeah it's tough. We've, I think we've all seen comedy, comedy comics that really aren't, you know, (laughs) they're not that funny. Yeah, Uh, Yeah. So,
0: you know, when it works, that's, you know, pat yourself on the back. Jeez. Yeah. Um, plus, then you won't have rabid fans like me, apparently, jumping down your fucking throat. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Nick, what what else have you, have you been reading? And then, you know, we'll get into that and then we'll jump into our picks for this upcoming week.
2: <laughs> sure.
0: You know, another thing that I did recently read that, um you know,
2: if we're going to go with the theme of maybe things that didn't uh, perfectly work for people. Um, yes. I read uh, Star Wars twelve through fifteen and Darth Vader twelve through thirteen. Normally, I read these books, um, these series
0: you, in trade form. Can you give us a little bit of a star asterisk on that? So this is the most recent runs of Star Wars and Darth Vader, right? Right, right, right. So
2: these issues sort of function as pre prelude. Prelude issues to the big event, War of the Bounty Hunters. Um, and then okay. also there some of them are some of the initial issues that tie into War of the Bounty Hunters. Okay. This is a massive event going on in the Star Wars franchise right now. They haven't really done one, certainly on this scale. Uh, and that's saying something. You know, Star Wars number one, Jason Aaron's, Jason Aaron, and I think John Cassidy's reboot showed up in like january of 2015 so we're closing in on like seven years of no event book or no major event book you know because i'm not including not a line-wide event book right right right. because like what was it cursed citadel scattered citadel something citadel it was screaming citadel right um was just like i think it was like one one shot and then as long as you were reading both Darth Vader and Star Wars, you were going to get everything anyway. So, you know, it was kind of an event with an asterisk next to it. Uh, This thing, War of the Bounty Hunters, is is a massive event. It spans six or seven months every month. I think you're being asked to read four ongoing books, one event book, and a one-shot. Still obviously not as big as certain big two events can get, but considering that there aren't that many Star Wars books and everything's getting roped in. It's a pretty big deal. Uh, For those unaware, Star Wars, um, the Star Wars books kind of made a jump after Aaron's run and it switched over to soul. Well, I guess, I guess there were, there were a few writers in between Aaron, obviously Gillen was on it for a while. as was Greg Pak. But anyway, Mm -hmm. things sort of jumped forward to following the events of Empire Strikes Back. So the first you know aaron's run was sort of post a new hope and soul's run is post empire strikes back gotcha, gotcha. and uh, obviously han solo is now in carbonite minor spoilers for a 1980 film right. that everyone right. has <laughs> seen um <laughs> and uh <laughs> God damn it, so- someone out there listening just went fuck <laughs>
0: Yeah, if you if you were spoiled by this podcast about Star Wars, please write in. I will buy you a Blu-ray copy of the movie. Sorry.
2: Oh boy. Yeah. Well, make sure
1: yeah. that it's got the cool covers.
2: Yeah, yes. someone yes. someone time traveling, someone time traveling from like 1977 who just saw Star Wars and was like, "Oh, I wonder what happens next." Like, now you know. <laughs> Sorry. Uh obviously he's in carbonite and for those who recall, he ends up at job of the hut, but the books Mm -hmm. sort of go with this whole idea of like, what was the process like when Luke and Leia were trying to like find Han? How did they arrive at that point? How many Uh, times did they kiss? Right. Uh, uh, Obviously Boba Fett was supposed to deliver him. Uh, You know, how did that play out? And like, this isn't particularly unique because even dark horse sort of explored this whole thing because Everyone has a stupid fascination with Boba Fett. Um, everyone everyone just loves Mandalorian armor. I think that's probably what it is.
1: Sure. I think yeah, that's right. That sounds yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. And uh, even though the compiled trades haven't come out, and I think that probably has something to do with the fact that Marvel is probably going to be rolling out like bigger trades that rope in all the side stuff instead of just the normal, like here's the next four issues of, of Star Wars. So even though those didn't roll out, I was like, "Oh, I'm kind of excited. I've I've been waiting a long time for these war the bounty hunters things to be collected and trade. You know, these books are free to read on CU. Let's just let's just jump into this. And I can tell you that just having read the Star Wars book and just having read the Darth Vader book and not reading the event book because that isn't on CU. Um, I was like, you know what? It's it's 2021. This isn't 1992." Maybe there's a certain level of respect for readers at this point where if you don't want to buy in all the way that like you'll be respected and like you won't be left with a billion editors notes being like, hey, go see Dr. Aphra issue 17, you fucking cheapskate and you just wouldn't feel lost all the time. Uh, But that's exactly what this feels like. (laughs) Uh, Like it feels like it's 1992 Uh, all of my comics are in Mylar bags and I'm never going to open them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, uh, there's a checklist at the end of an issue with like 40 more comics for the next two months that I need to read, or I'm not going to understand anything.
0: Great. Yeah. So, so I shouldn't read the star Wars comics is what I'm hearing. Oh, I mean, I'm going to get them when they get collected and I'm going (laughs) to buy them all like a terrible person, (laughs) but
2: for right now I'm fucking pissed. You're being, a, you're being a real comic consumer right now nick yeah, yeah 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 you're not a real comic consumer unless you're mad but you're not mad enough to stop uh-huh, uh-huh. if you're if you're mad but you're also unprincipled right, seems right, to be right. a theme yeah yeah i mean the, the art is interesting um the star wars book at least doesn't make you feel as lost as much Mm -hmm. but the vader book almost feels it almost feels like it's 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 concerned about the event and it's worried that there are people who are buying into the event but haven't been reading vader and so there's like a lot of flashbacks to the first two trades of the darth vader book okay which is weird (laughs) okay because like those issues just fucking happened
0: anyway any any
2: last books really quick be, or just to just to get through if you had any more no 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 that's uh that's that's me just waiting for these star wars books to be be collected okay. I, okay. I i i would love it i've said this a million times before if they just flip the script and just boba fett just dies he just died. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> like, well, they'll, they'll
0: kill him and then resurrect him so that the Mandalorian TV show will uh, make sense. Spoiler. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I, Renee, uh, what about you? Any, any any other books you've been reading before uh, we
1: get over to our picks? The last one that I want to talk about, at least, is uh the Hunter's Guild Red Hood, which I read chapter 18, which was the series ending, which I kind of had a feeling that it was going that way when they – Okay. Like, you know, you're reading a new series and you're like, oh, this is really cool. And, you know, there's a lot of potential with where it can go and everything like that. And then all of a sudden they're like, hey, this is the big bad. This is the end game. And you're like, whoa, seems a bit rushed. But, you know, at least with manga, that's how you can kind of tell that like, oh, okay, they've been given a couple weeks to... Right, right, right. Tying What's up. the
2: elevator pitch of this book, Renee? All I ever hear about is people mention this book, and then I think that it's Jason Todd, and then I realize it's a right, manga, same, and it's not. Same, same, same. Yeah, yeah.
1: So the Hunter's Guild, Red Hood, is basically like werewolves exist, and they eat people, and they sort of like they go into their towns, become part of the village or whatever, then they eat everybody. Oh, and so okay. the town has to hire hunters to come in and kill the werewolves. And so you meet this young kid, Velu, who, you know, is being trained by the village elder and he wants to fight off the werewolves with his werewolves, killing everybody in town. He's like, well, I need to protect this town. And this hunter comes in that they have to, you know, give all their, like, like everyone in the town's life savings to. Oh, um, You know, and then kind of things spiral off from there. And, you know, classic Shonen Trope, you know, Velu helps the hunter take down the uh, the werewolves, and then he's going to join the guild and all that. So you know, some pretty some pretty like you know classic trophy showing stuff in there. But the art is fantastic, and like the world is really cool. And I was just really enjoying the series. And you know, I do like the idea with what they were going to do with uh, with how that series was clearly going to end. It's, I don't want to get too into it because it's a bit. That's okay, but (laughs) it's really. But it was a really cool idea, and I was like, "Oh man, if they had had, you know, if if uh, sorry, the story art's by Yuki Kawaguchi, and I think if they had had, you know, more time to fully flesh out this story and things like that, if it had been more popular, it would have had this sort of, you know, just really wonderful character arc for all these heroes that you meet, and like the just the escalation of the war, and then just how things would have ended would have been really super cool." So I, I am kind of sad that the series wasn't more popular because I thought it had so much potential and, uh, you know, just now it's ended and it's just going in the pile of series I love that we're only here for a brief moment in time.
0: Rip.
2: Rip.
1: <laughs> How long rep. did this
2: book last, uh, Rene? Uh,
1: 18 chapters. So it's probably um, yeah. about three volumes. And with yeah. Shonen Jump,
2: it's a pretty like sink or swim sort of atmosphere, right? Yeah. Fans are fans are voting on this, right? This yes. sort of DM. yes, okay. Yep,
1: I mean, go read, go read
0: order. Bakugan, everybody.
2: Bakuman, so you'll
1: Bakuman, Bakugan. Bakuman, Bakugan is a different thing. <laughs> different thing. Sorry, Bakugan's about battle
0: tops. Sorry, my bad, my bad. Wait, isn't that Beyblade? <laughs> hold on, hold on. Isn't that a Digimon? Uh isn't that a character from My Hero Academia?
1: Uh, wait, <laughs> oh, okay. No. Um, anyway, um,
2: I know. <laughs> <Rene>.
1: <laughs> let me have my bad wait, joke, what, please. What did you say? Isn't that like? isn't isn't battle isn't bayblade the battle top thing oh maybe it is bakugan is something else it's something battlers and brawlers <laughs> I don't, you know oh i think no. it's, i think it's Beyblade and digimon mixed together <laughs> wait
0: that's a thing no no we're not getting into this i'm gonna talk about the last book that i read and not then more uh, <laughs> i read really quick before we take a break I read Hellblazer, Dangerous Habits. This is by Garth Ennis with pencils by Will Simpson. Um, Long and short, I don't want to get too deep into this because I did talk about it for the IRCB Movie Club that's coming out on September, or excuse me, November 28th uh, at the end of this month. So if you want to subscribe on Patreon at the $5 tier, you can hear that. Um, But I will say this book impressed the hell out of me, pun intended. Quite honestly, I didn't know this is Ennis's first American comic until I was reading about it after I finished the, the arc. But it's probably one of the coolest Hellblazer stories I've read, um, it meanders a little bit, but the overall like focus of the end of the story is so amazing, and I totally get why they wanted to take that and use it as an inspiration for the Constantine movie, which is what we talked about for IRCB movie club. So um, if you want to hear me, Brian and Paul talk about that, I'm just, this is a quick plug for the Patreon, but yeah, it's very eighties, very in nineties, the twist in the middle of the begin or the middle of the book is amazing. And the ending is incredible. So highly recommend that if you can get your hands on just that arc, Um, it's pretty cool. Um, But yeah, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about our comic picks for the week. uh, What's on the top of our pile, but we do have an interview with, uh, a friend of our show i guess i'm gonna say that now because everybody's really cool and wants to talk to us but todd hunt about his new book uh darling which is coming out on november 24th there's a collection of it issues number one through four had a great time talking with todd about this book so we're gonna um we're gonna go through that and when we come back we're gonna talk about our picks Today on I Read Comic Books, I am talking to the one and only Todd Hunt comic creator extraordinaire podcast host extraordinaire everyone that comes on the show they're an extraordinaire but todd thank you so much for coming and hanging (laughs) out with us at i read comic books uh you're here to talk to us a little bit about your new book that's i guess it's wrapping up the first arc and people can go collect it darling that's right could you tell us a little bit about yourself and this fantastic comic you've got coming out
3: sure yeah of course well thank you obviously so much for having me on the show to talk darling As we'll get into, it's very much a passion project of Mike Flyzak and I, and the story is actually kind of loosely based on his brother who passed away about 10 years ago. So Mm -hmm. we will definitely dig into the details of that, but I've just kind of loved comics my entire life, like any good comic creator, and a friend of mine that lived right down the block from me would write comics when we were really young, and... It just kind of always stuck with me. I was always finding somebody who was interested enough to draw my stories. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's kind of the hardest thing. Like, I really appreciate the comic creators who can write and draw. Like, I think that must be an incredibly kind of lucid experience to be able to pull both of those things out of your head. Luckily, we have Dave Mims. Mm -hmm. who can Mm -hmm. interpret our work incredibly well, sometimes better than even we can. But yeah, I've always been really lucky to kind of have the right conversation at the right time with people that were like-minded and wanted to work together. And my first comic series was The Secret Adventures of Houdini uh, through Alterna Comics that I did with Mm -hmm. Sean von Gorman. He is great and we're still very close to him. He did a variant for us for the Darling series. He did um, an exclusive artwork and featured art for... The fourth issue of Darling. And um, that relationship is really an important one of why I stayed working in comics. Secret Adventures of Houdini was just a really great experience. And um, I knew that I was going to continue telling stories through comics. And as we were working on Secret Adventures of Houdini, I reached out to my friend, Mike Flyzak, who I went to college with. We spent a semester in London together uh, and we just got thrown into an apartment together. And by the luck of the draw, and it was incredibly really beneficial for both of us. We became fast friends and spent really late nights kind of talking about stories we wanted to you know eventually create together one day and we mm-hmm. kept in touch and when I was having trouble with the arc with the Houdini story, I reached out to him as I kind of did when I needed an ear when we were working on that together, we kind of looked at each other and we were like, "Oh, we could do this we could we could make comics together and that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of like. The very long, short story of how the ideas for Darling even started to come about and Mike and I working together. Gotcha. Gotcha. I mean, but you guys, you guys, in putting this comic
0: together, I mean, you've been working together before that, right? I mean, you've got a, a little podcast that maybe people may have heard of. I don't know.
3: Right. Yeah. We have the Super Nintendo Dads Entertainment Podcast where we take our kids through our uh, our most nostalgic memories and Try to show them how much better our stuff is than theirs will ever be, and <laughs> we're usually proven wrong very quickly. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Willow doesn't hold up as much as we thought it did. Uh, I, I mean, <laughs> um, Minecraft
0: just tops everything, right? Is that what
3: the conclusion you know, is, or is it You know, Minecraft's got good music. <laughs> I think that's the thing it's that Minecraft true. that get draws you in, you know, like you find yourself playing Minecraft for three hours because it's just lulled you into this this nice little place where you can just kind of build or destroy, and um <laughs> I get it, you know it's not for me, but Mike's right. son Gabe, who's a large part of the Super Nintendo Dad show is a Minecraft fanatic and he's 13. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's kind of certainly what he's growing up with. But yeah, we um, we kind of take the heads, kids on a history ride of pop culture. And uh, we also do on that show, we do something called the Morning Dadcast where we just kind of get to screw around and talk as grumpy dads that complain about everything uh, once a week as well. <laughs> and we've taken a bit of a hiatus from the show for the past three months to promote Darling. And mm-hmm. we're actually going to be back recording episodes of Super Nintendo Dad starting this week. So that's really exciting. But that's yeah fantastic. Yeah, Mike and I actually, the first thing that we actually did together that wound up being produced was a few plays. Oh yeah, we wrote we we knew we wanted to do the comic series. We knew we weren't ready. We knew we didn't have all the tools we needed. And we were offered a chance to write a play with the idea that if we worked well enough with this group, they would produce it and have it performed and all of that. So it was a really good, it was really Mike and I really like having like a kind of a set goal where it's like, listen, if we do this right, it will be performed. It's not going to just end up on our shelf somewhere. Right. So we took it. Yeah, it's great. We, it was a great opportunity and we took it very seriously and it really, really sharpened our tools for dialogue. And I think that's why there's so many moments of darling where the dialogue feels really true and genuine And it's so important to the way that the story flows because we really sharpened that doing writing plays and, Mm -hmm. you know, writing things and then rewriting them after hearing how it's actually spoken and reading all of our dialogue for the comic out loud to each other. And it's Mm -hmm. like, is that how it would sound if it was coming out of somebody's mouth or, you know, does it or is it reading stilted because you're not reading it out loud? I think that that's like my. Greatest piece of advice for any writer of comics is after you write the script, read it out loud or read it into your phone and then listen back to it. Does it mm. ring true? Does it sound like your conversations do with your friends? Or does it sound, you know, totally stilted and dead on the page? God, I mean, that's that's definitely like a way to look at it. (laughs) (laughs) And and, I mean, there can be great writing, but it's like sometimes, you know, there's like little tiny things like certain characters in our stories, like they don't use contractions because the English is a second language for them. And contractions just don't come easily to people like that, you know? So like really kind of picking up how your character would say things specifically to make them even more unique. Cause all we have with comics is the images and words. And those words become so much more important in You know, anything that's read.
0: Yeah. I mean, and you know, before we dive too deep into the craft, I guess maybe we should talk a little bit about this comic book, Darling, that you guys have. Um, you and you and Mike worked on this book with uh Alex Regal and Dave Mims. Mm -hmm. How did this whole book come together and how did you guys end up at Source Point
3: Press? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Um so when Mike and I decided that we were ready to do a comic series, we were kind of looking for we had a bunch of ideas, we were bouncing around, and Mike told me about his brother, who had passed away from a heroin overdose, left him a bunch of journals. They were in a band together, and his brother was incredibly creative and incredibly charismatic. And we put a lot of those personality traits into the series. But we kind of, Mike kind of had this idea of using the journals as a backbone to create a world in which his brother could live mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and also like a place a really personal place where he could kind of keep all of his best memories of his brother alive because notoriously Mike is a horrible memory and if he doesn't put them somewhere he's afraid he's going to lose them I see so a lot of his in jokes with his brother and a lot of the things that his brothers his brother would say like his brother was always asking can I smoke in here like way past when it wasn't okay to smoke in anywhere (laughs) so like when they were in a band he would smoke on stage and he'd get in trouble for it but he'd always ask first can I smoke in here so there's this like there's this kind of throwaway line in the first issue where francis gets thrown in a cop car and he says can i smoke in here which <laughs> obviously is the worst place to ask for it it makes it funny but it's also yeah. like something and there's another scene in the diner uh when he's having or a very late breakfast with his girlfriend who's bailed him out for stealing from him um where he says you know when he out- orders his coffee he says you know put more sugar in than you could ever imagine anybody wanting and then add another Two scoops <laughs> yeah. um, which is also the way that Mike's brother drank his coffee, so it, it really became this this idea of wanting to create a place that we could kind of celebrate Mike's brother and his memories of him, but also you know kind of be true to the struggles that he faced, and you know addiction's one of those things that I feel like everybody's encountered at some point of their lives, whether it's you know someone they know or someone they know of someone they know. Um, But I feel like it's one of those things that really has affected almost everyone personally. And it's something we take very seriously. We have, Mike and I have a lot of really shared interests and kind of really appreciate the same story. So we really wanted to do a take on Alice in Wonderland that hasn't really been done before. So we decided to set it in 1980s New York City when it was still very gritty and very dirty and very dangerous. And do an Alice in Wonderland kind of take on that. We have, so the story itself kind of became the city is uh, looking for a girl who's missing. It's one of those kind of cultural zeitgeist moments where the whole city's focused on one thing. And Mike's, uh, sorry, Francis decides he's going to find the girl as kind of a Hail Mary and he's going to make his life entirely better. And this is not something uncommon to what Mike's brother, Frankie, would do. Mm -hmm. He would, you know call Mike and say, I'm going to go to Harvard and um, study poetry. And Mike's like, that sounds great, but also like getting a job selling cars would be great too. You know, like it doesn't have to be like this big, huge Hail Mary, but like he was tossing Hail Marys all the time. And it kind of felt very natural for us to kind of add that to the story in a way that like Francis realizes he's going nowhere fast and he wants to try to do something to fix all his relationships and become the hero. And, In trying to make the right decisions for once, he finds himself kind of engulfed in this drug war that's happening underneath the surface of this whole story. And every issue, his journey gets more and more fantastical, which clearly... A lot of the people that we've talked to that have read the story keep asking us, is he on a trip? Is this real? How much of this is reality? And, you know, that's kind of all I think at this point still up to interpretation. Mike and I know exactly where the story is going and it will become very clear. But I think at this point, the heightened sense of reality is still almost believable in a sense. So Mm -hmm. you can kind of make your own Opinion on how and where things are going
0: Yeah I mean I, I listeners at home I highly encourage you go find the first Four issues of this read them p- press Pause go read them come back I mean yeah, right. Not that we're going to necessarily spoil anything right. here Because I really don't want to but sure. I, still like You said the, the first the, the the progression In which this story moves through I was fortunate Enough to read the first four of these before we sat Down to talk today awesome. Thank and you. the thing That blew my mind is that every Single issue seems to up the ante In terms of absurdity And insanity right. and frantic- is stuck but he's also part of the problem and like he keeps finding himself in these extremely explosive mind-blowing situations Right, and it's not like, it doesn't necessarily feel like a trip but it it literally, it's like watching a movie where like the chaos just keeps growing Mm -hmm. in every single scene and you guys really managed to capture like an extremely accurate but absolutely cartoonish take on New York City Yeah, I, I was wondering how did you guys manage to like balance that and how do you find like make sure that things continue to be wild and crazy but still reel it back to this very real topic of addiction sure and because uh, obviously like frankie's whole life is is kind of falling apart but right everything's exploding because the story is getting very interesting very very
3: quickly <laughs> right I, I think most importantly like when it comes to like as an aspect of creating the world we very much stick to like the story we know that we need to tell and everything that happens around it is exciting and important, but we know that there's a very strong through line, which is Francis trying to make things right. He's trying to make the right decisions for the first time. So he finds himself, it's almost a sense of like Groundhog's Day, right? Where it's like mm-hmm. the whole point is, you know, how can you do the most amount of good in one day? Mm-hmm. It's kind mm-hmm. of like a kind of a, somewhat of a take on that of just Francis kind of saying for once, what if I just decide to try to make the right decisions or not make the most selfish decisions, which is clearly what he's been doing for the past while. Right. And I think that we know how far he needs to go down into this rabbit hole Mm -hmm. with also keeping some kind of sense of the character itself intact. Um, Mm -hmm. So as fantastic as things get, it's only going to help to strengthen... Francis's character or to destroy it, depending on, you know, how far down he does go. But we did always want to make the idea of the world kind of feeling off kilter because of the state that he's in, whether he's Mm -hmm. in between Mm -hmm. fixes or he's coming down or if he's trying to get back up, you know, all of this kind of sense of, of, you know, off kiltered reality is something that we think would just make sense normally but there's definitely as you say the anti definitely gets upped and we do find that there is a very fantastic world that francis has found himself a huge central part of
0: yeah i mean and that's that's the thing that really kept me drawn into the whole series is that like francis's character stays the same despite the world Mm -hmm. around him becoming Absurd and in crazy and wild. I mean, some of the things that happen, and especially at issues three and four, I was right. kind of like, "How is this the same book right. as issue one?" You know, <laughs> right? Um, and, and in the best way possible, I think that it's 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 very much a sense of questioning of is this real? Is it not? And that keeps you want to read this book. So you know, I'm I'm curious. You know, what's the writing process like for a book like this? Where obviously there's a lot of personal notes that you want to mm-hmm. you know add to the book, but at the same time you want to tell this very insane story about this Alice in Wonderland-like trip through New York City in the 80s.
3: Yeah, the writing process is weird, especially being that Mike and I do write it together. And I I think the best way to describe it is Mike and I really just are always trying to impress each other <laughs> it's always like we want to come up with an idea that's going to make the other person go oh my god that's great write that down yeah yeah and we know you know we very much we've been working on the book for six years and that's kind of you had asked earlier i'm sorry i didn't get a chance to talk about it um how we got involved with source point mm, yeah we had uh pitched it probably about three years ago to them and oh, okay. they were going through a few changes at that time, and they basically just shot us an email a few months after we pitched it the first time and said, hey, if you're still interested, we have this new submission process, go ahead. And we did. And right after that, we heard back from them. So we were you know, really happy to hear back from them so quickly. But the reason that we decided to go with them is they were really supportive of our message. And one of the most important things that we're doing with this book is we're donating a percentage of our profits to programs that helped uh, substance abuse, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, people struggling with substance abuse. And SourcePoint very quickly said, well, whatever you donate will match. And because of how much they were on board with not just the story, but the message as well, we basically were like, well, there's no other place that we want to be. And they've been incredibly supportive. I mean, there's no way we could be doing this book without them. It takes, I mean, as you've kind of mentioned, it's a very non-charistic. I mean, there's it's it's hard to describe this book. Definitely. Yeah, and it doesn't really have a solid place, which makes it, you know, a difficult book to, you know, truly speak about in a quick sense and a difficult series to sell sometimes. But they absolutely believe in it as much as we do. And it's been a really incredible experience with them. We have Uh, trade coming out this November Mm -hmm. uh, on the 24th, which will have the first four issues as well as all of our variant covers in it. And we actually have talked on a few few times that Mike and I have spoke about the book. We talked about how we initially had a really kind of very dark opening of the story. Mm -hmm. And then we quickly realized we need to establish the character first and foremost. So we spent that whole first issue really kind of letting the world know who Francis is, before mm-hmm. we get him into any sort of crazy situations. And we actually include that beginning, the old beginning in the trade as well, which I think will be really Ooh. interesting for people who've read it to kind of see where it started. And not even all the panels are finished and inked. Uh, some of them are inked, not of them all of them are colored. So it feels really mm-hmm. cool to kind of see like the real beginnings of where this started from. And the really cool thing that we added into the trade is we have concept art because Mike and I with Dave Mims have gone days and weeks before deciding on what a character is even wearing so we have like you've you've met the director and mr finch who are some of our fans you know favorite characters of the series we have (laughs) them in very 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 different attire and very different looks and ruby the queen she Mm -hmm. has a very different set of looks as well that we kind of share in the trade so for anybody who's read the first four issues and really love them, this trade will be really great for them because there's so much bonus content in there. And obviously for people who haven't had a chance to read the series yet, it's a really good way to you know, get it all in one package.
0: Yeah, that I mean, as someone who's read those issues, I'm very excited to see what you guys have to offer in those extras. Uh, just one of my favorite things about collections yeah. is, is getting that extra kind of stuff. You know, and one other thing I was wondering, you know, you said you worked really closely, you worked like a lot with Dave yeah. uh, Mims on mm. the series. How did you find Dave to basically make this book happen?
3: Yeah, I, I luckily, this is like a real it's like a this is a really almost 90s <laughs> story. But I was <laughs> I was working on a book of poetry and Someone had asked me to write a poem based on a Rodin sculpture for this dance piece that they were doing. It's a, I know that's a quite a sentence, sure. But
0: I, I, I mean, <laughs> you lost me as soon as you said poetry. Right. But you know, I'm here. I'm here to listen. <laughs>
3: fair, fair enough. Um, <laughs> I was looking for something to complement the poem really well, and I went on Deviant Art of all places. Oh, okay. And I just looked for anyone who had drawn a picture of this Rodin sculpture, the Burgers of Calais. And Mm -hmm. I found this incredible, incredible piece that Dave did. And I reached Mm -hmm. out to him and I said, you know, do you still have this original? Can I buy it? And would you mind if I used it for, you know, this dance piece, this New York city company is doing. Mm -hmm. And he was really cool and, you know, really happy that anyone, you know, kind of found something on DeviantArt and reached out to him for it. And that (laughs) was probably 10 years ago at this point. So, all along the time I was working on Secret Adventures of Houdini, I was working with Dave to kind of figure out what our move was going to be. Mm-hmm, so when mm-hmm. Mike and I figured out what we were doing, I the first person we reached out to was Dave. And we knew that he had a really great sensibility for this story. He's sure. intrinsically connected to New York City. His dad was actually a blues musician and a jazz mu- musician that played with Miles Davis in New York City. Oh, holy smokes. Yeah, I know. It's wild. So, like, he has this really intimate connection to the city. And Uh he has a really... I mean, you see, he has really great... Like, his graffiti art is incredible. Yeah. And he does it all over. I mean, every panel that you look at has such incredible, vivid detail. But Mm -hmm. we work... We just work so well with him. I mean, we've done almost this entire series by email with him. And it's been absolutely Mm -hmm. incredible. Almost every scene that we write he makes better. And I honestly have said this before, but I think that if you took all of the words out of the comic, you could probably still know what's going on just by Dave's art. Mm-hmm. which i no, think is I, really special 100 percent
0: agree with that. i mean like dave's work is incredible i i was as i was reading through this book i i was just floored by some of the pages mm. some of the panels i mean i i think there's a good combination of like very solid writing mixed with very solid art as you guys are collaboratively telling a story making sure to hit the right pauses and the right beats like there are right. some stories you read and it's just like boom 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 there's no breath there's no pause and i think like there are things that dave does with faces that i cannot describe but mm. it feels so perfect in yeah. the moment yeah i was i was telling a friend of mine on the show nick who's who's a regular mm. uh, about this thing and we were both like trying to put our finger on it on a couple panels i sent him some screenshots about right. like just what captured an emotion so mm-hmm. well and it's it's very impressive what Dave is able to do with his work. So I will say if it if anything, the art in this book is worth it. Sorry, not to oh, no. insult you the no. whole time.
3: <laughs> no, we, no, we we agree. We agree. We know that this package is one hundred percent half us, half Dave. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah, so I'm gonna give you a little bit of an exclusive. We have uh, just kind of just decided on the title for our next arc. Amazing. Uh, it's called Six Impossible Things. Mm-hmm. And it is kind of a take on the famous line from Alice in Wonderland when Alice says, sometimes I believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. Mm-hmm. Or the queen, the queen says that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's called Six Impossible Things. It's going to be six issues. It's going to start next fall. Okay. And the really cool thing is when Mike and I wrote the first four issues that everyone's either read or will decide to read after hearing this incredible interview, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, we kind of wrote those as one large story. Right. So the kind of, the the natural arc of the story really kind of goes through one through four. But we're writing these six impossible things, these next six issues, very much as issues. Mm-hmm. So we're going to see a lot of a kind of, a lot happening in these issues, even more so than the first issues. And Francis going on an absolute whirlwind of an adventure in the next arc. So... Anybody who has read, be very excited for what we have in store because there's gonna be some really incredible things happening. Yeah, that is uh that's very exciting, at least uh for me as someone who's very much
0: looking forward to what's to come next yeah. in this book. Um, if only because the end of issue four is very
3: oh, uh, there's still a lot of questions yeah. and I need them answered. <laughs> yeah. There's certainly a lot, a lot more to come up as well, but we definitely will. We we're very much Mike and I are very much fans. Um yeah. so we know like we know what we would want Mm -hmm. and we're, we promise we're going to give it to you.
0: I love it. I'd love to hear that. Um, I guess to,
3: to kind of wrap things
0: up here, then my final question that I'd like to ask in these interviews that we do on the show is what kind of comics are you into? What kind of comics have you been reading lately? Anything that's been like really, really good.
3: Yeah, for sure. Um, I love, I love comics that don't (laughs) funny enough. I love comics that don't have a tremendous amount of dialogue. Um, so I love mouse guard. Okay um okay. which is really incredible um i've been yeah, that's
0: one of my early early comics that really got me hooked on things that weren't just superhero books like,
3: yeah right I love that series yeah i know that's that's one of my absolute favorites especially for just how much they tell um without using words and it's really you know there's some pages that you go through without having any dialogue at all yeah um i love department of truth Ooh. Oh, okay.
0: You've got, we're best friends now. Okay. Thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> okay, you got it. <laughs> we'll just talk afterwards.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Hedra, I really liked because, again, that has very little, that's through image that has really few. Uh, there's actually, I don't think there's much dialogue in that at all. I don't think there's any. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love The Last Ronin. I think it's a really great kind of um, revision of everything great we remember from the Ninja Turtle comics as kids. Mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. it's a really really well done series this is the that's the book that's all about uh rafael right yes exactly okay okay yeah cool and what else am i reading uh, ice cream man i love ice cream Ooh. man oh my gosh! yeah <laughs> the the way that they do parallel worlds is something that we've we we've introduced into our stuff you know obviously way back but we were always trying to figure out how to get it right and we think we did for our series. We know it works for our series. We kind of split the panels into what the reality is at the present and then where it could go from there. But the mm-hmm. way that Ice Cream Man does their par- parallel worlds with like the different colors on the same page. Oh like, yeah. Like I yeah. absolutely love that. That's one of my favorite things happening in comics right now. And I really like uh blue and green. Yes. Oh my god. And Vampire 76. That's kind of what is kind of on my nightstand right now. And what else? Oh, Once in Future. Very nice. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> so, like, you should just come on the show and
0: talk about comics, because I feel like we'd have a really good conversation, like minds and all okay, that kind of it. stuff. Okay, you got it. Yeah. Uh, no, Once in Future is amazing, movies. isn't it? Yeah. And I yeah. always
3: have to shout out my friend Anthony Del Cole for uh, Kill Shakespeare. That's just something I'll pick up and read all the time. Gotcha. That's That's been on my to-read list for a very oh, long time. Oh, you time. loved. Uh, it's absolutely. Kill Shakespeare is one of the best series to come out in the past 10 years, hands down.
0: Okay. Okay, well, I'll, I'll bump it up my to-read list then. Yeah. Well, cool. I guess, you know, Todd, thank you so much for coming on the show. You said if folks can check out the, the collected edition of Darling 1-4 through 4 on November 24th, so that's going to be coming out very soon. Make sure it's on your pull list. Call your comic book shop coming out from Sourcepoint press smaller publishers so make sure you get those calls in early otherwise yes i'm sure it's available digitally yeah, on the internet local stuff. comic shop
3: all the way mike and i know that those yeah. are the pistons that actually drive this industry so if you do sure. if you are interested in the series reach out to your local comic shop have them order it there's certainly ways to get it online otherwise it's going to be through simon and schuster so it will be in barnes and noble and amazon and all that but Very call nice. your local shops have absolutely. them do it. That's that's absolutely the best way that we recommend to do it
0: for sure. Um, and I guess the last thing I'll ask you is, where can people find you on the internet if they have questions or they want to talk to you about Darlene or just talk about comic books in general and things like that?
3: Yeah, we uh, w- we're on Instagram at the real Francis Darling and also at Super Nintendads on Instagram. Mm-hmm. But most people just reach out to us by email at darlingthecomic at gmail Cool. Uh, and I'm at Todd Hunt on Twitter and Mike is at Michael Flyzak. Awesome. Oh, he's, actually well, just, sure. he's at Flyzak, at F-L-E-I-Z-A-C-H. Yeah, I'll make sure we've got all those links
0: in the show notes, but I guess to wrap things up, uh, Todd, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been an absolutely wonderful time. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, we're going to jump back to the show. Make sure to check out Darling. It is a whole lot of fun, whole big crazy ride that I don't think you'll forget. So thanks again, Todd, and we will, uh, we'll talk to you all soon. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks for having us. books are dropping on november 17 2021 but we're here to ask the question what's on the top of your pile so to start things off let's go with you renee what is on the top of your pile
1: well it's not a new comic i'll tell you that much um like i said i stumbled into the comic book shop last week so i actually just bought the first volume of deadly class um just because i know everybody was talking about it back when it had its own tv show and stuff like Mm -hmm. that and so I was like, well, let's see what it's all about. Because I remember thinking that I did want to read it. Um, unfortunately, mm-hmm. the cover that I have is the cover from the TV show, which kind no. of seems like a bummer.
0: Uh, sucks.
2: Somewhere elsewhere, there's someone who always like who wants those things. They're like, Oh, sure. thank fucking God.
0: But the Wes Craig cover but for that is me. solid.
1: But I mean, you know, it's it is what it is, and I'm gonna read the I'm gonna read it. I'm excited to to at least get into it and uh you know, we'll see. We'll
2: see. It's a gorgeous book, but it's so violent. <laughs> it's so violent.
1: I don't know why you yeah. think that that would bother me.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> why Rene do you just think I bought about this like,
2: book?
0: <laughs> yeah, just talking about murder and anime. So, like, it's it's fine. <laughs> or manga, I guess. Well, that sounds I mean, you'll have to let us know because, right, this book's been out for a long time. It's been something that I think I've read a couple times. And, you know, I, we all have a lot of differing opinions, I think, on this series. So I'd be curious to know yours, given you know just your history with comics in general. Yeah, I just yeah. I love your opinions, Renee.
1: Maybe I'll I just, just want maybe hear from I'll just you. save it for the next time that I'm on the uh on the uh, podcast and I'll just be like, "You know what? <laughs> Saved it for this. It's been on the top of my pile burning a hole through it." <laughs> now we're getting Okay. In. Okay.
0: Hold on to that review. I I look forward to it. That's yeah, a Uh it's a promise. Nick, now. what about you? What's uh what's on the top of your pile, Nick?
2: Well, uh primordial number 3 is coming out, which is Basically, Gideon Falls with household pets, I suppose, would be okay. the theme. It's kind of weird, and you and I have discussed this. I I don't really know if this book should have been... <sighs> we say this all the time. I don't know if this book should have been single issues. Sure. And, but that's just how the comics market works right now. I also don't know if this is going to be... Something that turns into an ongoing. I feel like that's like one of the more current prevailing themes in comics is that someone goes, by the way, I've got a five issue miniseries coming out. And like right around when that fifth issue rolls out, they're like, oh, also, by the way, uh, psych, this is a this is this
0: is an ongoing now. Has that happened a lot recently, though? I feel like the with the exception of Silver Coin, I, I think I don't know many that it, that's happened to. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I'd
2: have to think about it. But I think also part of it is just that sometimes it isn't very clearly announced that that's what's happening. Um, Sure. And it just sort of, you're like, oh, this is, this is still a thing. Or like two years after that first volume comes out, a book resumes and you're like, oh, wow. Okay. I thought this was done. Here we are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I think this book hasn't moved much in the first two issues. Literally the core conceit here, of course, is that in the early, uh, in the early days of the space race, in the early days of sort of um, you know America and and Russia building their own respective uh, programs to explore space, obviously the first thing we were going to do before actually sending humans into space was that we were going to send uh, animals into space, and and the Russians mm-hmm. sent a dog, uh, and okay. we sent a pair of monkeys. Blah blah blah. Most people kind of know a little bit about this and of course the the core question is like well what happens if they didn't you know what and you know what happens if they didn't die what happens if they you know found what weird things could they find in space what sort of bizarre uh adventures could they have or what could they come across honestly i don't think that that is the most interesting thing to me at this point it's probably the fact that if you know a little about, you know, 20th century American history, you sort of start to pick up on some interesting little tweaks. And and I got to hand it to Jeff Lemire. Like, I think it would be real tempting to be like, you know, okay, do you get it? Like, something is different here. Do you get it? And I'm not trying to, like, put a gold star on my fridge and say, like, you know, I'm the big-brained boy and everybody else get on my level. But if you sort of read between the lines, you learn – that things are a little different. Uh, the book start, takes place in 61, and you learn that Nixon is president, which, of mm-hmm. course, if you know a little bit about American history, Kennedy should have been elected president in 60. <laughs> so, sure. So Nixon's president... <laughs> And obviously, if you know a little bit, you know that Kennedy is really, you know, he makes the big push for the space race. He's sort of the reason we really made that push. But Nixon becomes president and basically starts (laughs) dismantling things. Like, Mm -hmm. he's like, Mm -hmm. dude, this space shit is boring. Like it's not worth our time.
1: Your problem with the animals in space comic is who is president in well, the no, 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 historical, historical time. Well, but, but Nick, to your point
0: about like, oh yeah, if you're reading between <laughs> the lines, I mean, like, it's not that it's not obvious, but it's also like... It's
1: a very the, it's the very al-
2: passing references. It's like sure, someone exactly. goes, oh, President Nixon said this, and you're like, hold on, what?
0: But the alternate side of history being like, is not the focus of this book, right? No. I think Lemire has to, I think he prefaces that by just trying to say things are a little bit different than you expect in order order to drive the rest of the narrative I you know I think that's it's it's not the focus of the book I guess is what it comes down to that's like my point here
2: yeah but I I do think it is sort of like the foundation for the idea that this could go anywhere it could do anything you know a lot of issue the end of issue one and the beginning of issue two largely has to do with the fact that Nixon is dismantling this program like all of the all of the effort that's been going into this is just sort of being uh, taken away, and this 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 uh doctor, this like I think he has like an MIT in in like computational theory or one thing or another, who's basically brought in to sort of help um, NASA go through all of this stuff that they've been building up over the years and figure out where they can just reallocate it to for other applications. Uh, he starts to come in to contact with these different figures who suggest that maybe some suspicious things happened when they were testing you know space flight with these animals and and beyond that it's like it's not moving very fast and that's what i think is kind of weird for a miniseries it seems like it's really taking its time for better or for worse jeff lemire can basically write a blank check for any book at this point and you know (laughs) again i say that genuinely for better or for worse yeah yeah i agree no one is going to cut him off three issues into a miniseries no one's gonna say like issue two didn't sell well and we're gonna stop like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that's that's one of the things that comes with well-deserved success is that those those things don't happen to you anymore
0: well and which is interesting that with this book if only because like it, with it moving so slow like what is this book actually going to end on especially with sorrentino and Lemire ramping up to do their big three graphic novel thing that they're going to be doing over at image like is primordial going to get more issues probably not at least not for the next two years if it does continue beyond the first arc but i really don't see Lemire as someone who's going in sorrentino for that matter as like a, a collaborative group that's going to say yeah we're going to do more of this in like three years i just don't i don't think that they would do that
2: no personally. me neither Me neither. I don't, I don't, I don't think so. So, I mean, visually it's a great looking book, but I do feel like a lot of the motifs and page layouts seem to be very borrowed from Gideon Falls. And it's, it's the exact identical art team. So like, Uh how much can you like, what do you expect? Right? Like it's literally the the same three guys. Yeah. Yeah. And it still looks great, but this stuff was so groundbreaking in Gideon falls and we're only like a year or two removed from that. Uh, and uh, you know, it's sort of like, yeah, I, I recognize this, you know, it's that it's the, um, the Leo DiCaprio, you know, once upon a time meme where he's, you know, furiously pointing at the screen. Like that's, that's me when I, mm-hmm. when I read this book. So Okay. <laughs> it's a beautiful book, but it's where the fuck is this book going? That's it. Like Listen. that's,
1: there Ooh. you go. A weird a great- pick for the top of your pile. Like, it sounds yeah. like you're mad about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: It's like those Star Wars books. I'm fucking mad. Also, right. here's my money. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, well, for me this week, I guess before I get into my picks, uh, we did have some folks hanging out with us on Discord today uh, for this very experimental episode. So thank you for your your time and patience with us just rambling. Um, we hope you liked it. Stephanie picked uh, Loki, Agent of Asgard, as the top of uh, the book that's on the top of their pick uh, or their pile, I should say, uh, to finish off their Loki journey that they've been on. Uh, and Danny picked Radio Apocalypse Number One, which is coming out from Vault Comics. So. Two exciting books. For me, the book that's on the top of my pile is a book that's coming out this week. Is The Nice House on the Lake, number six. This is by James Tinney in the fourth uh, with art by Alvaro Martinez uh, Bueno with colors by... Jordy Valer and I I don't know what else to say about this book. I think if you're in the comics world, you've probably heard of this. You're probably reading this. I don't think I understand what this book's actually about because I know <laughs> that I've been reading it month to month and I understood what's happening. The mysteries of the core conceit of this book are being revealed. I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but I don't think I'm truly going to understand the trajectory and the, the, the actual pacing of this book until it comes out in a collected edition. I think that like The way that Tinian has revealed things by focusing on each character, each issue has been really smart and really cool. And I can't think of another book that's been able to change the perspective of every issue without it becoming super confusing, at least in a non-Big Two book. I think we see that a lot of the times in team books and in Marvel and DC. But like, this has been really interesting to see him writing... 12 different voices or six different five different voices that we've seen so far. And yeah, I like that every issue is an introspection of every character that I feel like I know is a distant acquaintance at that point in the series. So like I hear about this character, and then it turns out that they're they're the next focal character for the issue. So you get more and more into their personal flashbacks and stuff. And like Buenos art is unfucking believably good. I cannot express how beautiful this book is and just how fantastically they're able to capture the chaos of the overall story um, especially when we get into some of the weirder more alien-esque feel of this book and I say that not as if there are aliens in the book but that there's something strange and the only way I can describe it is alien so yeah this will be the halfway point in this 12 issue season of this book there's supposedly more at least on the DC website it said that this is season one so we'll see but um, yeah overall this book fucking rules and um, I absolutely love it So I hope everybody out there is picking it up because Tingen's on fire between this and the Department of Truth. I could I could drop everything else and just read those books. Hands down. Maybe this new Rick and Morty book. I'll keep.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, but anyway, here we go. There's a that's, callback. That's my, that's my callback for the whole episode. So wow. anyways, that, that wraps up the episode. We don't have uh, anything else offered today. So next week's show is going to be me and Kate and Nick. We're going to be talking about Hedra by Jesse Lonergan. So make sure you go pick up that one shot from either Hoopla or from Comicsology or wherever you get your comic books. It's a beautiful book by itself i can't wait to talk about it um and remember you can always follow us on twitter you can follow nick at death star plans you can follow renee at rodriguer 29 uh you can follow me at mike rappin and you can follow the show at ircb podcast on twitter instagram and tiktok (laughs) yeah i've been putting things on tiktok it's a whole thing This episode first aired on Patreon and is possible because of our wonderful
2: patrons. You can join today for exclusive series like IRCB Movie Club, Saga of Saga, and more. Uh, You can join now at patreon.com forward slash IRCB
1: podcast. If you haven't already, please rate and review our Candy, I Mean, show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us spread the word about IRCB. Uh, You can join the IRCB Discord community to chat comics and more and listen to our episodes live as we record. You can check the link in the show notes. And it would help us a lot if you tell your friends or your local comic shop about the show.
0: Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. We can't thank them enough. Xander is a very cool guy who makes us sound even cooler every week, and we appreciate that he puts up with us, honestly. (laughs) Uh, I want to say thank you to Nick and Renee for being on the episode with me. Thank you to Danny and and Stephanie for hanging out with us in the Discord and everybody out there who listens to the show and helps, subscribes on Patreon. You are all wonderful people. We can't uh, thank you enough. So until next time, comics are good, and so are you.